It's Friday afternoon. We've locked the door so our bodies can get all nice and ripe after we die at our desks due to non-mask wearing complications. And also because it's time for another edition of our weekly podcast, Tales from the Brown Desk. I'm Jake Rigney of Rigney Law, LLC. With me as usual is my law partner, wife, and the donor of my court mask last week, Cassie Rigney. Our host is Terry Ulm. Friendly reminder, Tales from the Brown Desk is a free-flowing conversation involving two foul-mouthed attorneys. It may include graphic descriptions of sexual activity, violence, and QAnon's idiotic ramblings. It may not be suitable for children, our landlords, your landlords, our clients, and basically everyone else. Listener discretion is advised. Here's Terry. Hello, everyone. Hi, Jake. How are you today? Hi, Terry. I am uh, in a terrible mood. So Terrible. I think uh, other people would call that normal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Cassie. How are you today? Hi, I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Good. So today we're going to continue our series, A Walk Through the Criminal Justice System in Indiana. Last week, we talked about the discovery phase of a criminal case. And this week, we're going to continue our walk into the swamp and take the next step. <laughs> it is a swamp. Okay. It's definitely not the stroll you kind of, when I was thinking about that when you, you said the title of it, it's like, this is not a nice stroll on the yeah. beach. I usually tell people if you can avoid lawyers getting involved, you should. Yeah. It's not Saturday in the park. That's true. Yeah. I think uh, last week... Uh, we were informed that we were in poop town. <laughs> that sounds like something I'd say. Yeah. So after the discovery phase or after the discovery phase is initiated, what happens next? Um, well, typically you would have any number of what are called pretrial hearings um, and they can cover different subjects or involve different matters and it just kind of depends on the specifics of your case um, and those kind of happen during the discovery process so as things move along these sorts of things aren't happening like one after the other um, some of them can happen in the same hearing um, and it's all happening at the same time the discovery process is ongoing if that makes any sense it does now would a bond review hearing happen during the discovery phase? Yes. Um, very early on in a case, if a, a defendant is in custody and they can't make the bond that is already set for them, uh, a defense attorney will ask often for a bond review so that they can argue to the judge that the person's bond ought to be lowered so that they can get out. And the state often argues that they should that the bond should be increased so that they can stay in. Do the words bond and bail mean the same thing? In the state of Indiana, for all intents and purposes, yes. I've seen them used inter interchangeably. I think Jake might have a little bit of history on bail, but... No, I have, I have absolutely <laughs> no history on it at all. Something about property instead of cash, or... They're the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is... This is one of those like honest lawyer moments where we're just going to admit like, I don't, I'm sure there's a reason those two different words exist, but I have no idea what it is. They don't mean anything different now. I, I think that once upon a time you could put your property up as collateral 
as evidence that you were going to come to court. And so you could, you know, this was, I think, before mortgages were so common. Um, and so as long as the person showed up for court every time, they got to keep their farm or whatever it was they were promising. Um, but I, that's not common practice anymore. It, it may still be possible in some counties. Uh, I've never seen it done. Uh, it's always money these days, usually to a bondsman. The important thing is that it, it's not relevant. It doesn't make any difference which word you use. Bond or bail. Same thing, pretty much. Yeah. I think we talked about this in one of our earlier episodes as far as bond being set and it was my understanding as there's like a schedule or certain crimes have certain bonds that go with them. So if there's an amount that is associated with a crime, is it is it okay to ask for it to be reduced? It is okay. Um, the judge can always, well, so let's start from the beginning. Uh, every county is a little different and every county has a somewhat different bond schedule as far as I'm aware. Um, Marion County's looks, for example, at a whole bunch of different things, including whether the person's failed to appear before and some other things like that. There are other counties where they simply just set it based on the level you're charged with and everyone gets the same bond um, at first. But there are always reasons why you could argue that it ought to be lowered in your client's case. Um, so if the bond is unmakeable, a lot of times um, you're going to ask that they go below their normal schedule and point out some specific aspect of your situation or your client's situation that is different and ought to give the judge more comfort that your client will show up um, when directed to do so and won't commit any more crimes while they're out on bond. Because those are the two things the judge is supposed to be worried about. If somebody is incarcerated and they're waiting to be let out on bail or bond and they haven't wouldn't just wouldn't couldn't we just conclude that they can't afford it like why do you have to go and ask the judge to lower it because my understanding there's millions of people across the country that are in jail waiting trial and aren't out simply because they can't afford their bond well then does everybody just wait it out and no one pays bond they're trying to keep you on a, on the hook for something. And in Marion County, at least, I know they'll consider, but I mean, the fact you can't pay bond, I mean, if you're charged with a you know, high felony armed robbery, something like that, I mean, just because you can't pay bond doesn't mean they're going to lower it to, you know, you have a right to bond. You don't have a right to a bond you can pay. Yeah, the, the court has to, is required to set a bond in a way that's going to ensure that the person comes back to court, right? That's the, the overarching concern. So somebody who's, for example, armed robbery carries a penalty between three and 16 years in prison. Um, how much would you pay for three years of freedom? Probably quite a bit, right? I mean, just if right. you get a job, it's worth thousands upon thousands of dollars to you. Um, so the court justifiably believes they have to set a bond, you know, that's at least somewhere in the, you know, five to $10,000 range so that you don't just run away and go live your life. You know what I mean? Um, because you're looking at prison time if you're convicted of those, uh, that thing, it's the same with murder. I mean, murder carries a, a mandatory minimum of 45 years in prison. 
Um, and, and it's unlikely that no matter what bond you set, if somebody makes it, they're probably not going to come back and face that willingly. Um, so it makes sense um, that they have to set high bonds or in the case of murder that they hold a person without bond just because otherwise you just have everybody running away. The system can't work that way. When a bond is set, does the incarcerated person have to pay the entire amount of the bond or do they only pay like 10% or a portion of it? It depends on the type of bond. Um, in Indiana, the way they, a lot of counties are doing now are letting you do cash bonds that you pay to the clerk. That's a set amount, pay to the clerk, you stick through the case out, they'll take fees out, but at the end they'll return the money. Uh, when you do what's called a surety bond, that's the one where you're talking about generally you pay 10% cash. You do that through a bondsman, and when you pay a bondsman, that money is gone. Um, the best thing you get out of paying a bondsman is he keeps your 10% and doesn't pursue you to for the other 90%. So the bail bondsman would pay the 100% and charge you 10%? Right, and he keeps your 10% and then gets, if you show up for all your hearings, he gets all his money back from the from the court. Um, so in other words, he invests 100, he bets 100% of whatever the bond is. So it's, it's kind of a gamble, and it, it is literally, you would look at it the same way you would look at gambling, Right. He is going to bet that you're going to show up for all your court hearings, Chad. And so if your bond is $1,000, he'll, he'll take 100 from you. He'll give the court 1000 And if you show up for all your hearings, he gets his 1000 back. Plus, he keeps your 100 and he turns a tidy little 10% profit on, on his investment. Why use a bail bondsman? instead of just paying the 100 like if you add the 100 why pay the 100 for him to keep 10 percent? well it's my understanding they don't actually pay the 100 they like give collateral like they may pay 10 percent and then sign up their house you know they're they're giving a hundred thousand i'm not under the impression that they have ten thousand dollars in cash that they're handing over to the bondsman who then just yeah keeps it that you're right that wouldn't make sense right it's cheaper is <clears throat> is why people use a bondsman if your bond is 10,000 surety. The bondsman only makes you pay $1,000, right? So you can get out for 1,000 instead of 10,000. But um, he paid the 10,000. He pays the 10,000 and he gets it back if you show up. Okay. And I think that's kind of where you end up with dog the bounty hunter, that kind of thing. Like yeah. those those people are, you know, when you see those scenarios, that's the situation they're talking about. That somebody's, you know, they're not going to get their money if that person doesn't show up for court. So that's when people are kicking in doors and dragging people into court. Right. That's exactly what's happening. The the Chapmans run a bail bond company and they post a bond. And then if you don't show up, they go looking for you. Because if they produce you, they still get their money back. So... Every person that you're watching him chase down is a dollar amount in his head that he needs to get back from the county <laughs> court system, um, which is why they're so motivated to do it. Now, who would typically attend a bond review hearing? Well, you know, court is public. Anybody can attend any court that's in session. Um, but as far as you, if you mean like who would 
testify or be needed for a hearing. Yeah. Um, it depends on the situation. I mean, oftentimes it's just your client, uh, but sometimes it might be a family member or an employer or something like that. Again, it's a case-by-case analysis. What What is the concern with your particular client's case? Who does the court want to hear from? How long do these hearings usually take? They don't usually take very long. Um, usually the whole thing lasts 10 or 15 minutes um, in terms of actual hearing time. Um, a lot of times you sit and wait for the hearing longer than it takes to have it. Um, although I have seen some longer ones where there is a sort of longer drawn out presentation of evidence. But um, for the most part, um, yeah, they're, they're relatively quick hearings. Well, and that's something that we haven't talked about much because, you know, obviously we, the accused, uh, the Indiana has like a victim's bill of rights. And if you are the victim of a crime, you would have the right to be notified of change in bond and have the court be hear you on that. Um, so in that situation, it's incumbent on the state to inform that person. If that person has an opinion, either present them to the judge or relay that, that opinion to the court. When do bond review hearings happen? Can they happen any time between when you're arrested and put into jail up to your sentencing? They can happen any time, although it is much more common for them to occur at the beginning of a case than it is at the middle or the end. Um, typically, the defendant and the defense counsel is going to be motivated to try to get the defendant out of jail while the case is pending. Um, the reason being that the state of Indiana, well, not, the, not just the state of Indiana, but every state, has a lot more leverage in terms of plea negotiations if the defendant is in custody. Because most defendants, and I'm, I'm not speaking about any particular client of mine at this point, but most defendants, in my experience, will take almost any plea that gets them out of jail if they're in jail, right? If they're in and you offer them home detention, that like, maybe I have a self-defense claim, maybe the witnesses won't show up, maybe this defense, maybe that, that all goes out the window, usually, when your defendant's in custody. When he's in custody, if they offer him home detention, he's usually just going to say, okay, sign me up. If they offer him probation, he's going to say, okay, sign me up. Um, and so your ability to sort of fight for fight that question of whether a person is or isn't guilty is a lot harder when the person's in custody just because suddenly the state has negotiating power that they didn't have before, and they know that. Um, they probably, most of them likely wouldn't admit it, but they, uh, but that is one of the reasons why they seek to keep people in custody so much is because it's a lot easier to negotiate their cases without a trial if they can keep the person in custody while the case is pending. That makes sense. Now, does the prosecutor have a say in the amount of the bond that's set or is that completely up to the judge? The judge makes the final decision, and that's the kind of thing. I mean, the the prosecutor gets to weigh in. The way I describe it, you're, quote, unquote, against the state, um, and the judge is the referee uh, between the two. Um, there are very few things that either one of the parties can decide in and of themselves and all by themselves. Um so they get to weigh in. I mean, it's almost any hearing, whether it's a modification, both parties have will, will be heard on the issue. 
Yeah, it's kind of like um, it, it's almost like an ice skating competition. Um, so both sides put on their show and then the judge rates them and sets a bond according to, uh, whoever skated best, I guess is, I mean, it's not exactly like that because it's not, it's probably not as arbitrary as ice skating judges can be. Um, but I mean, it, in a lot of ways it's similar, right? Uh, or diving, diving judges, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, you know, cause there's a degree of difficulty and then how well you pulled it off and, and so in, in bond review hearings, there's the defendant's criminal history and, um, you know, how much property he owns and where it is and whether or not he's a, how big of a flight risk he is and whether he's shown up before, you know, if he's been arrested before. So it's, there are all these different factors at play. And then the judge just kind of says, okay, here's what your bond is now. Assuming that these bond review hearings, the whole purpose of them is to reduce the amount of bond, does that ever backfire? Yeah, that's that's not the right assumption. Yeah, no, it's called a bond review. Um, we will have people being like, they want their bond reduction, bond reduction, be like, slow down. This is a review. The parties, the, the court has given an audience to the parties, and they are going to review your bond. So you'll go over, what is it set now? We'll talk about the factors. We'll talk about what's important. But no, it can absolutely go up. And I, in, in when I was a prosecutor, I had seen it go up because, you know, people didn't want to listen to their attorney, and they got there, and then it was worse. Yeah. But what's weird is that even when that happens, I mean, it functionally doesn't really matter the, to the defendant, right? Um, it's kind of a, a no-lose proposition for the defendant, which is why almost universally they all want a bond review. Um, because if they can't pay the bond they currently have, it doesn't matter if it goes up, right? There's They're going to sit in jail either way, um, and it might go down. So, um, So that's why you have it on a lot of cases and literally every case where the defendant is in custody. Can the bond ever be erased completely or is it like a guarantee that you would have a bond? No, I mean, that's what they call OR or own recognizance. That's when you are released without posting property or uh, property just based on your promise to, you know, follow the rules and come back. Um, And that's common on, uh, you know, misdemeanors, low-level offenses. Yeah, in in some jurisdictions they call it ROR, released on your own recognizance. And it's just cool. It kind of rolls off your tongue, you know, I'm ROR. Well, that's more technically correct because it's you, you never say own you know if I went around just going oh your own recognizance people would be like what are you talking about and you need the released <laughs> right I, I actually wish we would go to that but yeah let's be trendsetters you can do it nobody will follow anything I say or do <laughs> they'll be like Jake Rigney does that no we're never doing that no that doesn't sound right it doesn't if you're found innocent can you get all that money back? How long are you going to have to work here? Please don't say things like found innocent. <laughs> <laughs> if you are not proven guilty. Correct. You would get your bond money back. Well, not if you paid a um, a surety bond, though. If you pay money to the bondsman, it's gone no matter what happens. Even if you're found not guilty, all you get is you get to get out while before your trial happens. Your money is still gone. Yeah, back to the best case scenario with a bondsman is he doesn't take the other 90%. Um, so I guess, yeah, with that clarification. 
what kind of things are taken into consideration when setting the type of bond, whether it be a surety bond or a normal bond? Uh, or what we call a cash bond, which is where you just pay the whole thing to the clerk. Um, it's rare that you get a judge that sort of explains themselves about why they set one bond or another, but I have heard it done once or twice. And the good explanation I got once from a judge was that you set a cash bond if you think they're going to come back. And so you just want to give them the extra push to come back. But you set a surety bond if, you, if you're not sure and you want to make sure that a bondsman will go out looking for him if he doesn't show up. Does that make sense? It does. So that's because if you pay a cash bond to the clerk and then you don't show up, yeah, you lose your money, but nobody goes looking for you. The judge will issue a warrant for your arrest, but the cops aren't going to go out looking for you. But on a surety bond, the bondsman is going to lose that other 90% if he doesn't find you. Um, and so they are heavily financially motivated to chase you down. And because of that, um, that gives the, the courts more security um, when they set those kinds of bonds. That's the only good explanation I think I've ever heard about it. But we're also not encouraged to question the judge's ruling from the bench either. Typically, we take what we get and we move on because you don't make any friends asking questions. Now, there is something that I have come across and I don't know if it's a title of a hearing, um, but it's review of counsel. Is this a, a hearing title? Is it? Yeah, review of counsel, status of counsel. It's just a term to, they're given. It's the deadline for for the accused to hire an attorney. Um, so basically, the person has asserted that they wish to hire an attorney, and they need time to do that. So the court sets one of these hearings. It doesn't interchangeable. It just means you're supposed to have an attorney here on this day. Generally, we just file an appearance, um, but otherwise, you're supposed to come back and then talk to the judge about why you don't have an have an attorney. Right. It, it's the hearing where you're going to have to explain yourself to the judge if you haven't hired someone. Would this be the time to say that you can't afford an attorney or is that earlier on in the case, like at your initial hearing? Um, that depends quite a bit on what jurisdiction you're in. Um, but typically every court is going to, almost every court addresses counsel at the initial hearing. But if you're having a review of counsel hearing, that means the court has decided that you don't qualify for the public defender's agency at that point, um, or for a public defender. Not every county has an agency. Um, so if you get to a review of counsel and you genuinely still can't afford an attorney, yeah, you bring it up again, um, or for the first time if you hadn't brought it up before. And what types of things does the judge consider before appointing um, a public defender? Well, it's generally a person's ability to pay. Um, but again, you know, judges don't, you know, this is the mind reading part. We're using experience to just guess at what we think led them to make that decision. Yeah, what the judge has to decide is whether or not the person qualifies as indigent. That's the, the word that typically is thrown around. Um, indigent is just a $4 word for poor. Um, and... A lot of times they'll consider your income and your assets, so they'll want to know if you own any things of value that you might be able to sell to hire an attorney. Um, and um, how many people you support, 
and sort of what your general living situation is, whether or not other people support you as well um, so that they can figure out how much of the money you make is really spent on the types of things that we don't really want to punish people for for having. So the review of counsel hearing or the status of counsel hearing, those are set by the court. Could someone that has a public defender ask for a review of counsel hearing because they don't like their public defender? No. Um, first, the only the court sets its calendar. That's it. All we have the ability to do is ask the court to schedule something for a reason. So the court always sets its own calendar. Uh, then the court can either assign you a public defender or does not assign you a public defender. He will not order the public defender's agency to give you a different public defender. Uh, he won't micromanage that. Um, you can get a public appointed attorney as passed out to you by the by the county uh, public defender's agency or that system, or you can hire your own attorney or go pro se. Could you explain what pro se means to our listeners? Yeah, pro se means you're representing yourself. Is that a good idea? <laughs> well, no, um, not usually. Um, there are certainly people in the history of the United States who have successfully represented themselves. But um, the thing about representing yourself, especially if you don't have any legal training or legal education, is that you will not be aware of the issues that may be arising in your case. Um, Lawyers spend typically three years in law school, plus they take a big fancy long two-day exam to prove that they are good mainly at one skill, and the skill is called issue spotting. They can read a document and determine what legal issues exist in Indiana based on what the document says. Um, If you don't have that training, you will miss issues. You will fundamentally misunderstand issues, and you will misunderstand how court decisions apply. Unfortunately, sometimes I deal with folks who have either done their own research or have tried to represent themselves, and what a lot of times they'll point me to cases, right, that they think, um, you know, according to this case right here, uh, I should be out, or they can't go forward, and I'll find that it's a, you know, a Missouri court trial court order, or a federal appeals court opinion from a different circuit than Indiana right? Um, Those do not have any precedent in Indiana courts, Um, but they, because they don't understand the system, the two-tiered federal plus state system that we have and where those, the decisions on those issues fall in that system, they don't understand how to effectively represent themselves. It's very complicated. If it was easy, they wouldn't make, they wouldn't have made me go to school for three years to learn how to do it. Um, And so generally it is a terrible idea to represent yourself. But in Feretta versus California, the United States Supreme Court said that you have the right to do that. So if you want to, you can and no one can stop you. So it is more than just reading comprehension. Absolutely. So we are now going to interrupt this episode to bring you the latest Florida Man news. Oh boy. CBS Tampa Bay reports that Florida man who was employed as a paramedic was arrested following a domestic violence investigation. 
Now, according to the arrest affidavit, Florida man got into an argument with his girlfriend after she confronted him about his alleged infidelity. The altercation turned physical, Mm -hmm. and the police were called to the scene. Not only did the lady, it was actually her friend that called the police, but he fled and then called the police himself to report that he was abused by her. Okay. Um, when a detective made contact with Florida man, they found him, him in possession of prescription drugs, yeah. multiple IV lines and needles, okay. saline bags, and syringes. Mm. Uh, Florida man confessed that he took those items from his work. And during an interview with the victim, the victim told detectives about a separate incident. And she was um, awoken in the middle of the night and she found an IV in her arm, which what appeared to be blood being drawn out of it. The victim alleged that one of Florida Man's previous girlfriends told her that Florida Man would often ask her if he could draw blood from her. (laughs) Okay. When the detectives asked Florida Man about the allegation, he denied it, but he did say he has drawn people's blood in the past for an art project. Not one that I want to see, but... Now, a Florida family found Florida woman in their home cooking Raymond noodles after she made a sandwich, and now she's facing criminal charges. So are we on to a different Florida person? We're on on to a different Florida person. Okay. Sorry. I I wasn't sure because I I was waiting for more terrible Florida paramedic story. No, just, just taking blood from... Girlfriends. Oh, that's tame. That's tame. It is. <laughs> Dracula. Dracula paramedic of St. Augustine. Or no, Tampa. So St. Petersburg. Yeah. Now, he was just making art with it. He wasn't actually throwing it on somebody with a fur coat or, you know, anything like that. I don't know how you use blood to make art. Like it dries and then it's all brown and gross. Like you can't paint with it. I don't, I don't know. I don't either i never seen art with blood, so... That's gross, bro. That's gross. It is gross. I thought you were going to say he was, like, secretly drugging them and passing her around to his friends yeah. or something like that. I was <laughs> expecting something much worse. No. Just just taking her blood while she is passed out, which I think is kind of bad. That's, like, C-minus bad for Florida. That's, like... <laughs> <laughs> We've been desensitized, so we're like, yeah, and <laughs> three, three Florida dudes are sitting around a desk right now, and one of them was like, "So the other weekend, I drugged my girlfriend while she was asleep," and the other two are like, "Hell, we do that every weekend, man. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> Want to trade? Oh, not ugh, uh. yeah. No, the answer is no, Florida man. I do not want to <laughs> trade." Now, a Florida family found Florida woman in their home cooking Raymond noodles after she made a sandwich, and now she's mm-hmm. facing criminal charges. Now, the occupants of the home called the sheriff's deputies after they found the woman in their kitchen. Um, all the occupants of the home denied knowing her. When the <laughs> deputies asked um, the woman about her presence in the home, she told them that an older Florida man named Rabbit told her that she can stay there anytime she wanted. She was arrested. Total damages were $2 for noodles, $3 for a loaf of bread, total $5. 
That and that's inflated. There, nowhere in the world do ramen noodles cost two dollars. <laughs> that's nonsense. This is. I mean. It, it. It sounds like why were the police involved? I mean, if you're just in there, you're making ramen, and somebody comes in like, "Well, who are you? Well, I, who are you?" I mean, nobody knows what's going. They'd be like, "You know what? Maybe this is my mistake. Why don't I just go?" Like, did she not pack up and leave? She I mean, left. She left. She left and went down a couple doors and sat on the neighbor's porch, eating her um, cup of noodles. When the police arrived, they found her there. I mean, that's scary, but it doesn't sound like, I mean, she was, there was ill will on her part. Yeah, it's possible that that's a mistake of fact. Um, that is a defense in Indiana, for example. I don't know if it is in Florida or not, but it probably is. Um, the mistake of fact statute is confusing, and it's not used very often and used even less successfully. But basically, it says that if you were mistaken, if you were reasonably mistaken... <laughs> Which is a big part of it. Um, if you were reasonably mistaken about a fact, which negates your knowledge, your knowing or intentional commission of the crime, um, then uh, then you're not guilty of it. So, if if she reasonably thought that that was Rabbit's house, then it's just a mistake, and that she can she can and that she shouldn't be charged with it. But Proving that it was reasonable is difficult because that does not happen every day in the United... Well, it probably does happen every day in the United States, but it does not happen very often to people, right? So you're going to have a jury deciding whether that was reasonable or not, and most of them are going to say, I have never walked into the wrong person's house because a dude named Rabbit told me it was cool. <laughs> that doesn't sound real to me. Um, and so that defense is a struggle. Now, the Florida police officers were called to an unlikely suspect bouncing through the streets of a Florida neighborhood. The Florida police initially thought they were being called out to a signal 69, which <laughs> which surprisingly means that, well, that's reserved for cats and dogs. I, <laughs> I would think it would what? be something else. Um, just retire that signal, please. Whatever Florida law enforcement agency is using signal 69. I don't, I don't even know what, what that is. It's maybe like a radio call that the, the dispatchers in Florida use signal 69. Oh, okay. It's just, it's just a radio call that means right. something to them. Okay. Right. right. Which means cat or dog on the loose. <laughs> Well, <laughs> Florida police arrive at the scene of the Signal 69. More cats than dogs, but yeah. It was a kangaroo. Oh, a kangaroo is loose in Florida. It, it took um, numerous police officers to apprehend Florida kangaroo. Yeah. And <laughs> four <laughs> of them. <laughs> Florida kangaroo. It's like Florida man, but it can jump much higher. Yes. And it likes to fight. Oh, wait, that's exactly like Florida Man. It's just it can jump higher. That's it. Right. Florida kangaroo is put in the back of the squad car and and taken away to where the cops would keep their horses. Wait, wait, wait. They put the kangaroo in the squad car. They did. That seems like a terrible why? idea. I mean, none of it, why, don't you call like wildlife people? I mean, you put it in your car? Really? They did. It took four of them to put them in there, too. Florida cop disappoints. That must not have been a full-grown um, kangaroo, because those things are really strong. You're really smart, Jake. 
It was a medium-sized kangaroo. Yeah, the the big ones are big. I've I watch PBS sometimes. <laughs> They're kind of human-looking too. At uh-huh. least like the torso up, which yep. is kind of freaky. Well, when they look like they're boxing, you get two yes. of the males fighting. Yeah. Yep. No, they do that, and it's funny too because I I wa- I'm I wasn't joking. I watched a PBS special on kangaroos when they are courting females. They flex. Like, just like Arnold Schwarzenegger does, like with his <laughs> fists down around his uh, waist, you know, and like, and they just sit there and like flex and show the, the female kangaroo all their muscles just over and over again till they find, till the females are finally like, okay, fine, here. <laughs> <laughs> just stop. <laughs> they just, they flex so hard. It's funny. Now, uh, back to Florida woman, she was arrested um, after the deputies were called by a homeowner who was away in Canada, but he saw on his security footage that this woman has trespassed on his property and stripped naked on numerous occasions and would skinny dip in his pool. The deputies came. They collected cigarettes, keys, women's underwear, and a steak knife that was left behind. But no steak. No steak. Just (laughs) Just the steak knife. Damn it. Yeah, so uh, the deputies find Florida woman, and they question her. She denied everything. Good call. Yep, but Florida woman's mother ratted her out. Florida mom, what are you doing? Yeah, she said her daughter is lying, and she goes over there almost every other day to skinny dip. (laughs) And the Florida police uh, deputies also found a set of kitchen knives in in their kitchen that matched the steak knife that was left at the pool. So how awful of a person do you have to be to be a Florida woman and not have a single friend that will let you come to their pool? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and, and there's uh, two oceans there too. I mean, well, maybe cause she keeps coming naked with like knives and mm. I don't well, know. Yeah. Might have a problem with that. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about my mom too much on my podcast because she's a decent human and doesn't need to be compared next to the people in Florida, although she is a Florida woman for six months out of the year. But I want to say it, it's strange. Like my mom is trained like she knows not to talk to the police <laughs> <laughs> and she is most certainly not going to tell the police on me. Um, So how bad of a person do you got to be when your own mom is like, yep, she's over there. She's getting naked going in the pool every other day. Why don't you arrest her? Don't snitch on your kids, man. There are a million pools in Florida she's been denied to, and then her mother turns her hand. She's having a bad week. Yeah, she, um, Florida woman was also arrested for a DUI. And afterwards, after the police take her to jail, they do the strip search and they find a crack pipe in her private area. Not <laughs> <laughs> the, the pause was very important there. They find a crack pipe <laughs> dun, 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 in her private Well, it wasn't until um, they took x-rays of her. And they, the x-rays showed this foreign object. And when asked about it, she told the deputies she forgot it was there. <laughs> uh. 
the I think the polite term might be nature's purse. No, for the lady. No, her anus. Oh, yeah, her prison wallet. The prison. Okay, that's the prison wallet versus nature's purse. The largest item I heard of being placed in a cavity was a handgun. What? Um, I was a prosecutor, and some piece probable cause affidavit came like across. Like one of those miniature little pink ones. The right? report didn't say how. I mean, it was it was a. Uh, I assume it was a small handgun. It was not indicated that it was a mini. Like toy gun or anything? No, I mean it was an AR-15. It, was an <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't loaded, right? I don't remember. I hope not. Of course it was. <laughs> Who would carry a gun and it not be loaded? What would be the point of that? Well, they're supposed to take it out and then load it. <laughs> right. It's gonna, it's gonna be all slippery. No. <laughs> The delay it takes to get it out to be able to shoot, you can't add additional delay to no, load it at that you're, point. You're already keeping it in a very not readily accessible place. You don't want to be slowed down further by having to load it because it's probably a semi-auto too because <laughs> they take up less space, I would assume. So well, it, yeah, it more perplexing than that was when I would read reports that people hid marijuana in their body cavity. Um, and the reason for that was, particularly in Marion County, ain't nothing going to happen to you. Right. <laughs> like, why don't you put that in there? <laughs> like, you're going to have to go to jail maybe for a couple hours. They'll knock you out. What, are you going to get a diversion? I mean, <laughs> and that was back when they were still charging them. Now they don't. Um, you know, if someone was on probation or parole, okay, I could see hiding contraband like that. But just traffic stop, shove your joint up there. <laughs> like, I don't know what kind of horror stories they're getting, but it's really not that bad. Yeah, it's... And that's really a testament. A lot of these stories, are, although they're all true as far as we know, um, a lot of these stories are kind of a testament to how bad a decision someone will make when you don't give them the chance to think about what they're doing, right? Um, even even the gun in the vagina, what probably happened is she was keeping it somewhere else and she got pulled over. And she was trying to figure out where to put it that they wouldn't find it. Um, and that's what, that's usually, I think what, what happens with the drugs too. Um, and that's just, first of all, it's really dangerous. It's a terrible idea. Don't ever do it. Um, but it's what people think of when they're scared and they don't know what else to do. Um, which kind of highlights the, the difference between knowingly committing a crime and intentionally committing one too. Right. Um, because you can commit all sorts of crimes just by knowingly committing them. Right. And knowing doesn't take any time at all. It doesn't take any contemplation. It doesn't take any concern about the result. It's just like it, you know what you're doing, then you're guilty. Whereas intent is a lot of times what people think of when they think of criminal activity instead. And, Almost no crimes in Indiana require proof of intent. Um, almost all of them are just knowing. Um, and it, terrible decisions like the one that these folks made to put things inside themselves is a classic example of, of terrible decision-making where you don't give somebody the opportunity to think about what they're doing. And it's a, it's a problem throughout the country. 
And critical thinking uh, is also a problem. And if they thought about it for a little while, they would have realized it was a stupid idea, but they didn't have time. So they didn't. And that is all the time we have for today. All right. Thanks, Terry. And uh, thank you, everyone out there, for listening to Tales from the Brown Desk. Please remember, while we may discuss legal issues and provide information regarding the law to our listeners, we do not intend to create an attorney-client relationship with any listener. Our advice may not be applicable to some legal issues. Please consult with an attorney you have hired to review your legal situation before you attempt to apply the things we have said to your case. You can ask us a question if you like. Just email Terry at T-E-R-I at RigneyLawIndy.com and entitle your email podcast question and we'll read it on our next podcast unless we start getting too many questions and then we'll just read the good ones we're not going to get too many questions though buzzsprout says we have 26 listeners 26 it's going down things aren't going well for us our french listener listener however in um some place in france i forget where now ile de something um they keep hanging on they're out there listening so is someone in boardman oregon And I don't know why, but thanks, I think. Um, Goonies never quit. Yeah. Uh, Anyhow. (laughs) Goonies never say die. I don't... We just watched that the other day, and now I don't remember. Oh, well. I suck. (sighs) Also, the attorneys at Rigney Law do not comment on their current pending cases. Nothing we have said in this podcast is a comment on a case we are currently working on, even if your name is Chad or if you are living in France. Bonsoir.